0: to see you today. We appreciate it very much that you are here. and I hope that our worship to God is pleasing to Him and that uh, what we now uh, do together in the study of His Word will also glorify His name as we are going to spend our time in just a moment on uh, Joshua chapter 6. and I invite you to be there and uh, we will study from that passage especially throughout the morning. Uh, and uh, I have my word of welcome to our visitors. We are glad that you are with us. and. Could there be someone here this morning who's not a Christian? We especially want to encourage you to listen carefully to God's Word for your life. That the laws of sin will fall down, as we just sang, in your life. That you will by faith repent of your sins. That you will confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that you will be baptized into Him for the remission of sins. We hope that we can encourage you to do that. As God calls you to do that, And we invite you to do that at the end of our study this morning. And as Christians, uh, we certainly are to remember that uh, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, uh, may we examine ourselves with God's Word as we study from it this morning. Should we find sin in our hearts, in our lives, in our practices, Uh, that uh, uh, we would repent of those things from our heart, changing our heart toward God and bear the fruit that that demonstrates that changed heart. I'd like for us to go back in time as we think about Joshua and Jericho uh, as uh, about roughly 3,500 years ago. Uh, we have the occasion of which we've just sung and that is recorded us uh, for us in the book of Joshua. We want to study and learn some lessons from Jericho. Jericho uh, was estimated probably about that time to maybe not have more than two or 3,000 inhabitants. It was called the city of palm trees uh, as it uh, was about 10 miles northwest of the Dead Sea. About 14 miles northeast of Jerusalem, uh, it was 1,000 feet below sea level and uh, a full 3,500 feet lower than Jerusalem. And so we understand then when Jesus taught the parable of the, the Good Samaritan that He said uh, that a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves because when you travel from Jerusalem to Jericho, you went down even though you went up. As we think about up on a map, we think about north up, but elevation, uh, they went down uh, more, than, more than a half a mile from Jerusalem to Jericho. And of course, that was uh, usually by foot. And so uh, we, that gives us some meaning and understanding when uh, some of the Psalms are called songs of Ascent because they would ascend to Jerusalem singing those songs equally about a half a mile distance. So, as I said, it's called the city of palm trees. It was a lush oasis in the in the flatlands leading into and the delta leading into the Dead Sea. It was the first military objective of Joshua and Israel. That's why we... We had that uh, verse on the beginning chart when God told Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And now they have crossed the Jordan as God separated the waters, the ark leading them and standing in the water where the water was as Israel passed over. Now remember, we're talking about a a congregation of people that easily numbered well over a million 1.2 or, or 5 or even beyond because as we're going to mention and see in just a moment the, the men of war going around the city of Jerusalem are numbered above 600,000 so you have a city of roughly 2 or 3,000 people i grew up near that's kind of my hometown it was about 2,000 people and I can imagine if there was an army of 600,000 walking around it every day blowing trumpets. Uh, imagine the, the fright there. And they were besieged. Chapter 6 and verse 1. As we go back to our, our chart here, you see that the city was besieged. It was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. The spies had already entered the City previous to this in chapter two of Joshua we read about that. And so now God instructs what he has done, what he is doing, and what Israel was to do at Jericho. And so let's just let's just learn some lessons. This is not exhaustive, but hopefully it will be representative of some basic lessons from this great occasion of this victory over over Jericho. First lesson is, being afraid of God is not enough belief to save you. Being afraid is not enough belief to save you. You see, back in chapter 2 of Joshua, let's read verses 8-11, through and let's read about some people who were afraid. It says there that before they lay down, she, that is Rahab, came up to them on the roof. She's speaking to these two spies and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Uh, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what He did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any one because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Rahab said, our heart has melted like wax. We have lost all courage. Your terror is upon us. They were scared to death. And they had cause to be. You see, sometimes perhaps we confuse fear with faith. Uh, and, And that simply was not the case. You know, people today can talk about I have fear of God. I fear God. I dread God. But that does not mean there's faith in God. I can be afraid of God and not have faith in God. We ought to be afraid of God. There's an element of fear. Phobia is the word. Jesus said, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10.28 Being afraid is not the same as having faith. And... And you see this in Hebrews chapter eleven and verse thirty-one. It says, "By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace." The people in Jericho did not believe, but they were afraid. There's more to being to having faith than being afraid of God, or just being afraid of what might happen. A lot more than that. When Felix, when the apostle reasoned with Felix of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, it says he trembled. He was fearful. But it did not motivate him to an obedient faith, to submission to the gospel of Jesus, to become a Christian, to repent of his sins. No. He sought a convenient season. So so fear Without faith, causes causes fatality, causes our death. Rahab had fear, but she acted on it. She, she, she said, your terror is on us, Joshua 2. But, but she acknowledged not only what God did for Israel, but she responded in her life toward what God did. Hebrews 11.31 By faith, she received the spies with peace. She was justified by works in that, that she uh, uh, received the, uh, the spies in James 2 and verse 25. She received the messengers and sent them out another way. She acted upon the faith that she had. She, she believed the evidence that the God of Israel was a true God. And in helping the, the messengers of God or these spies that Joshua sent there, uh, she saved her house and her family. Now, here's our applications from what we can learn about fear is not sufficient faith. We need to learn to have a proper reverence for God. Jesus said, again, Matthew 10.28, don't fear Him who's able to kill the body and not able to kill the soul. But rather fear Him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Our greater, there is an element of fear when we consider God. And I know, you know, people today they want to talk about God as their buddy and God is their, you know, their pal and and uh, uh, and you know, God is their quote best friend. Well, we're supposed to be friends of God for sure, but we lower that concept when we try to, to equate it to some relationship we have with people in our lives. Fact of the matter is, we are to have such a respect for God that we dread displeasing God. That's the essence of the fear. We dread displeasing Him. Now, Jericho dreaded being annihilated by Israel and their God and her God. Well, we ought to be afraid of that possibility too. Hebrews. Ten says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So we have to, we have to, like Rahab, turn fear into faith. Because you see, when we act in faith, we have God's blessing. When we respect Him, Acts Ten thirty four and thirty five says, "Of the truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he who fears God and works righteousness is acceptable to Him." They come together. She worked righteousness in receiving the spies. That's that's what's acknowledged by the Holy Spirit in James two twenty five. She had a respect for God that He alone is Lord God, and she acted upon that to saving her house and herself and her house. We need to move beyond just thinking if I'm afraid of God, I have faith in God. There's something else though here in this matter of fear, and that is we must not bury our abilities and opportunities out of fear, out of dread. Oh, God, just not going to be pleased with me. God, just going to. I'm just not going to be able to do it. Do it good. Do it right. And so, I'm just not going to do anything. Well, that's not the right attitude either. You see, in Matthew the twenty fifth chapter, with the the parable of uh, the talents, the one talent man thought that way. And when the Lord called him to account, he said, well, I knew you were a hard man. Lord, I, I knew you reap where you don't sow and you gather where you don't scatter, where you don't plant. And so, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. So if we do nothing with the abilities and talents God's blessed us with, because we're just afraid that we're just not going to measure up before Him, then we have nothing to bring back to Him but that which He gave us. He's the giver of the opportunity. He's the giver of the capability. And it is an action of faith that we use that to His service. If the readiness is there, 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, it's acceptable as a man has, not as he does not have. We cannot allow fear to overwhelm us and keep us from doing the right thing. Simply put. Her fear, Rahab's fear of this impending army and the reality of that army's God didn't cause her such a fear that she became... Inactive? No, she acted upon it to show due respect and regard, and to plead mercy from that great God of Israel. And so, like her, we must translate fear into faith. Transfer fear into faith. Don't fear men. Don't and don't don't fear failure because in Christ we are more than conquerors. You have a heart to do and to do what God has given you the opportunity to do, then you do it to the best of your faith and capability, and that's good. Uh, oh, I I can't sing four part harmony. I just won't sing. I, I can't I can't teach a class, so I just won't apply myself to to, to try and learn. You know, and on on the list we we are masters at excusing ourselves. Out of fear at times. Well, let's don't be afraid because fear is not faith. And God's not going to reward that kind of fear. He is going to reward a fear that that seeks to please Him, that regards Him in all things and then works righteousness. Number two, what other lesson from Jericho? Well, in chapter 6, we learn that salvation is by grace through faith. What a tremendous illustration of that simple truth from Ephesians two verses eight and nine, where the apostle said, "For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." And so, in Joshua the second chapter, we see in verse two that success is certain if we do the commands of God. Success is certain if we obey God. Now, back to Hebrews 11.30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. God could have, once Israel besieged the city, God could have just spoken a word and the walls fall down flat. Why didn't He do that? Why didn't God just... Say, fall down, Walls. Why did He put those men through their paces for seven days? Well, we get a picture into what grace and what faith is and how they combine, how they come together. Look, God says in verse 2, I have given you the city. I have given Jericho into your hand. So, so God has already determined the city's yours. I'm giving it to you. And and uh, uh, and verse sixteen. When on the seventh time of the seventh day they encircled the city, uh, he said, "You shall shout, and for the Lord has given you the city." Okay. So so the Lord has given it to you. There's God's grace. There's God's gift. Did they earn it? When they circled the city once a day for six days and on the seventh day seven times and then they, they shouted and all the while every day they were blowing the trumpet. Did, did they earn the right for God to, to make those walls fall down? No, they didn't earn anything. It was God's gift. God said, I gave it to you. Well, then why would they do that? Because you see, God is teaching them and teaching us faith. More on that in just a minute. I just want you to see what's in play here. God's grace is at work and man's faith is at work. We access God's grace by faith. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. We stand in grace accessing that grace by faith. They access the grace of God in the victory over Jericho by their faith. And that's exactly what He expects us to do. Here's our applications. You see, grace and obedient faith are companions, they are not competitors. The doctrine that teaches that if you think you must obey God to be saved, that means you're trying to earn your salvation and you have have disrespected God and disrespected His gift is false doctrine. Just false. They They respected God, they feared God and kept His commandments. And so we see that obedient faith is working faith. In verses 6-11, through He gives the He gives them the commandments about the marching and about the day and about who is to go in succession. The, the, the men of war and then the priests blowing the trumpet Seven priests, seven trumpets. And then the ark of God. And then there's a rear guard. And they were to have that, that uh, 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 set up Ralph's talking about marching in military. Well, marching, you know, there's military. There's a precision here that God expected, and in the doing of that, they demonstrate their faith. It's the faith that works. James two fourteen through twenty two, as he talks about faith without works is dead. Why didn't Joshua just say, "Oh no, God, we're not going to do that because you've already given us the city." If I were to do that, I would be denying your gift. And I'm not going to deny your gift. So I'm just going to wait for you to give it to me. God be glorified. You've already given me the gift. Praise God. I'm not going to try to do anything I'm being facetious. But you see, isn't that the doctrine? Isn't that the doctrine that says that God does all and you do Nothing. He misunderstands. Yes, God does all, but you have to do all too. You have to do all your part. He gave the city. He's a gracious God. He'll save you by His grace, but He won't save you in faithlessness. So you've got to put your faith to work. Because you see, an obedient faith works and an obedient faith endures. Verses 12-14, through they didn't just have to do that one day. They had to do that for an entire week, and on the seventh day, seven times round, as we saying. An obedient faith is an enduring faith. Now, just think about it a little bit. You're not talking about half a dozen people walking around a, a city, you're talking about over a half a million armed men circling that city every day. A lot of work to that. A lot of effort. A lot of strategery. Yeah. A lot of a lot of planning. A lot of you gotta do it with precision. And you gotta keep doing it every day. You reckon about the fourth or fifth day, some of those the temptation would have been, Why are we doing this? Why do we go to church every Sunday? Some people like to say it. And they got it all wrong when they talk that way and think that way. Because it's it ought to be, I have another opportunity to worship God on Sunday. But somehow or another, we've got we've accepted the lie of the world that that if you go to worship on Sunday, you you have to go to church. No, no, no. See, they got, they had the opportunity to be compliant to the word of God because of the great blessing God had promised them by such a life. And by doing that, they acknowledge by their obedience, they acknowledge that God is the giver of the gift. When we obey, we acknowledge that God is the giver of the gift. That's the lesson to learn at Jericho concerning God's grace as well as man's faith. In addition to that, along with that is this idea, you see, careful obedience is possible and it is essential to faith. But you see, that's the next thing that comes up. Oh, you just, you always, you harp on obedience. It's always obey, 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 obey. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's, let's have the balance of truth in this matter. Because you see, in that verse, Joshua 6, verses 3 through 5, and then going on in 6 through 11, as it describes more thoroughly uh, what they were to do in obedience to those commandments. God is teaching faith. You see, God teaches us faith by commanding faith. Think about that. Look at that verse. Seven times in that passage, He either says, you shall or the priests shall. He says that once. All the people shall. He says that once. You shall. You shall. Priests shall. You all shall. So, by commanding obedience, He is commanding, He is teaching faith. When God commands us to keep a, a, a commandment. When He commands us to eat the Lord's Supper, is it just because He wants us to walk through paces? Or is it not rather that He wants us to engender the faith, the trust in Him, that that supper reminds us of in the sacrifice of Jesus? This is what we must put in our hearts about obedience. We are learning faith that trusts in God's grace. Faith that trusts in God's grace is obedience. That's what He was doing then, because you see, that's the victory of faith. First John five verses four and five. Oh, I'm sorry, three and four. 1 John 5, verses 3 and 4. John says, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. And whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And who is He that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So just as Israel believed God when God said, I have given you Jericho, They demonstrated that faith by every day getting up and following his commandment to go around the city and on the seventh day and seven times and then to shout, to be quiet all those six days except for the trumpets. Not say a word, but then shout on that seventh, after that seventh circuit on the seventh day. It was a victory of faith, which would never have occurred without God's grace. And so they combine. They're not competitors. They're not an either or. We're learning about faith. He was teaching them about faith. And when God commands us, He's teaching us about faith. I want you to note when God gave His commandments to Israel through Joshua, they could understand them, they weren't too hard to understand or obey. That becomes an excuse sometimes today. Well, you know, good brethren differ. It's hard to understand. And yet, they could understand. And in fact, Paul commended Timothy twice for carefully and fully following what had been commanded. 1 Timothy 4.16 point is, you and I can understand God's Word. Some things are hard to understand, so we dig it out. We study. We open the text. First Timothy 4 and verse 6 says, You instruct the brethren. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. There's a good doctrine to be carefully followed. As again, 2 Timothy 3.10 says a similar thing. Careful obedience is not only possible, it is essential to faith, to saving faith. That's what we learn in Jericho. We learn that such obedience is not Pharisaical. The Pharisees had it wrong because they said and did not do. They didn't get it wrong by saying do, they got it wrong by saying and not doing. by pretense. Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So it's entirely possible. And when we do understand and obey God's word, we're not, again, it's not earning, it's not meritorious, but it is trust and reliance upon the grace of God. So how much are we relying on God's grace? If we give our hearts and lives fully to obeying God's word, it is not because we think we can earn our way to heaven. It is not because we put our we think we can put our life on a scale and we'll just we'll just barely outweigh the other. That is not obedience. Our obedience is the expression of our trust in God, that God has promised eternal life. I have given you life eternal. It's in the Son. First John five, he who has the Son has life. But that demands faith that obeys the Word of God, the commands of God. Our obedience exalts the grace of God. Obedient faith exalts, it holds up God's grace to the world. and says God has a gift that He's offering you, salvation in His Son. And He calls upon us to have a faith in Him to receive His blessing." That's what we learn at Jericho. Number four, don't touch what God has cursed. Don't touch what God has cursed. In Joshua six seventeen through 19 God says through Joshua, "...the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things." Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and that the camp of Israel and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. The accursed thing, or the devoted thing, or the dedicated thing, was dedicated for destruction. Uh, and, and Leviticus 27, 28 and 9 talk some about it. And and in this situation. The spoils, verse 19, the silver, the gold, the vessels of bronze and iron were consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. You don't take it for yourself. These spoils are not yours. They are dedicated. They are devoted. There is a ban upon them. It goes into the treasury of the Lord. Now, the problem was that when Achan sinned in this matter, and chapter 7 describes that sin and its consequences. There are consequences. He said the, the the camp will be cursed. There was sin in the camp because of the sin of Ai. I'm sorry, the sin of Achan, and so at Ai, about thirty six Israelites lost their lives. They should have taken that city easily because it was a consequence to sin being in the camp. It had to be removed uh, according to God's word, and that's another. Another study, but note please with me that that this basic lesson. When God curses something, God says, Don't touch that, we've got to learn not to touch that. Here's our application don't return to sin. Do not return to sin. Second Peter two, twenty through twenty two describes in vivid language the problem. With doing that very thing, for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in therein and overcome, the last end or the latter end has become worse for them than the beginning. For it were not better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Here is is the soul who has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, who has escaped the pollutions of defilement and spiritual and eternal death, but again becomes ensnared, entangled. The spiritual condition of such a one, He says, is like the dog returning to his own vomit and the sow having washed her to wallowing in the mire. Don't return to sin. He touched that which is cursed that which God says stay away from, I'm not going to be good for you. You're not going to come out better. And so over and over, God says flee sin. Flee immorality. Flee, flee fornication. Flee youthful lusts. Abstain from every form of evil. On and on the Word of God goes. you not understand if there's sin in the camp. We've about that this morning with Thyatira. God is not pleased. a little leaven is a whole lump and we cannot, we cannot excuse that, ignore that, be complacent toward that or else we too become defiled. Another few lessons here as we bring these things to a close here in a few minutes. Spiritual victories require you to fight. We may have the idea that, that they didn't do any fighting, but read it again. In Joshua six twenty through 21 the wall fell down flat, but then the people went up into the city, every man straight before Him, and they took the city. They took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that were in the city. Man, woman, young, old, ox, sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. They had to use swords to take the city. Spiritual victories demand that we fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10-13 God gave them Jericho, but Israel had to fight to take the city. Now again, I've given you the city, but that verse says they took the city. Here's, Here's salvation. Are you going to take it? Repent and be baptized. See how simple that is? See how... God's word explains itself, you're gonna to have to fight, Christian. You're gonna to have to fight to lay hold on eternal life. First Timothy six and twelve. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life, and confess the good confession as he goes on to discuss. Being a Christianity, being a Christian demands a militancy against sin and error. And you know, I guess the question is, do we have a stomach for the militancy of the Gospel? Because the Gospel is militant. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, it pulls down strongholds. It lays waste with the argumentation of truth. Those strongholds, those uh, footholds of the enemy that would destroy souls It says, the weapons of our warfare are not according to the flesh, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are an army. We're God's army. We teach the children to sing that song. Somehow when we grow up, we don't like to think that we're in an army. We don't want fight. There was some fighting at Jericho. God made the wall fall. That gave them access. Then they had to fight. Now look to the next point in that same verse. Your spiritual battle is straight in front of you. Your spiritual battle. battle against the temptations in your life. The trials of your life. The situations that you face. There's a battle straight in front of you. Remember what he said? he said? He told them in verse 5, the people shall go up every man straight before Him. And so verse 20, that's what they did. Every man went straight before Him and they took the city. Each one has to fight the good fight of faith. Someone can't fight that fight for you. But I want you to note the point here too is they fought side by side. They fought side by side. What a blessing it is to know that in this spiritual fight against the devil and those who support and serve him, that we fight side by side. You're not on your own. Hebrews 12, verses 13 and 14, 12 and 13. Hebrews 12 12. Strengthen the hands that hang down, the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. The lame. He says, so the lame will not be dislocated. They'll be healed. Help one another. Exhort and encourage each other without distraction. It's straight in front of you. Don't be distracted, but help one another. You can't fight your neighbor's battle, but you can exhort and encourage and help heal and help them fight their battle. That's straight in front of them. That's our we have we have a spiritual battle in our life. Let's be helping each other in those. Let's recognize that everybody has a fight. My fight's not the only fight there is in in this world. But everybody has one. Let's, Let's recognize that and realize we're all fighting on the Lord's side as His people. And fight in tandem as we go straight on to defeat our enemy, the devil. Final lesson. God's judgments are sure. God's judgments are sure. Chapter 6, 24, and again in verse 26, they burned the city. Only the silver and gold vessels uh, were, were kept that put in the treasury of the Lord. And Joshua Joshua charged, and he said, "'Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates.'" So the Lord was with Joshua and His fame spread throughout the country. Well, God says if if anybody tries to rebuild this city, He's he's going to to lay the foundation of this city with the death of His firstborn. And when He puts the gates on the wall of that city, His his youngest is going to die. About 500 years years later, about 500 years later, the fellow put that to the test. Hill in Second First Kings 16.34 is named as the man who built Jericho and he did it with the death of his two sons. Now what can we learn from that? I learned that time does not change God's commandments. God, I'm sorry, God's judgments. Time does not alter the judgments of God. Secondly, Peter, the third chapter, verses eight and nine. Peter wrote about this. He said, "Beloved, don't forget this one thing: that to the Lord, uh, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise; as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing any should perish, but all shall come to repentance." God is not bound by time; He's not measured by time. He's outside of time. But you see, as a consequence, time doesn't change and alter his judgments. Thanks be to God that somebody who's out of duty to the Lord for forty years can repent and come back to the Lord. My brother Ralph sets that example and lives that that truth. Time doesn't alter the judgments. What if he had simply said, Oh, it's been too long. I can't do that. No reason to do that. God's going to forget that. He's going to forgive me regardless. That wouldn't have worked. God does not remove his judgments based on the passing of time. God is not overthrown, his judgments are sure. If we fight against God, we will lose. That's the lesson, Jericho. And judgment is coming. Imagine you're in the city of Jericho and you're not Rahab or her house. In the in the house with the scarlet thread in the window so they could see her and them and save and, and, and not kill them. Imagine that army going around every day for seven days. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And it came. It's coming. Are we ready? Jericho teaches us God's judgments of sin. teaches us about God's great grace and the blessings of faith so that we may fear Him, trust Him and obey Him, and be saved by Him. Let's remember Jericho. Remember how its lessons continue to educate and train us in our lives of faith. You're not a Christian, we hope you become one right now. We hope you've learned the lessons of Jericho to the point that you say, I don't I don't want to be like those who were destroyed. I want to be like Rahab who was saved. Put your faith to work. Repent of your sins. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Be baptized for the remission of your sins right now. A correct sin in your life as a Christian. Don't try to hide it, it's not going to work. When Achan did that, it simply Brought his demise, and it hurt others. Repent of every sin. If we can help you in that, we want to right now. Won't you come while we stand and sing? I was in to rise no more. But the